Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Thank you all for being here. Um, we're kind of moving towards the end of the summer. Uh, if you've been with us, we're going to wrap up our lessons from the Kings here in another couple of weeks and shift into the book of Ephesians for the fall. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Matthew chapter 6. Um, we're going to be in Second Chronicles, starting chapter 17, but first, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. I want to ask you a big question this morning. Um, how do you know that you're seeking the kingdom of God and not the American dream? How do you know? How do you know you're seeking the kingdom of God and not the American dream? It's probably the correct question in the American church right now. And then just some other questions that follow that is, do you know what the kingdom of God is? Are you overwhelmed by that? The thing that Jesus taught on, always watch, he taught about the kingdom. All the apostles, they taught in the kingdom. Paul, to his last days, he gathered people teaching them about the kingdom. And then Jesus gives us this incredible promise. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And guess what? All these other things he'll take care of. That's the way to live anxious free. Worry free. So, we're going to look at this big question this morning. How do we seek first the kingdom of God? Matthew chapter 6, these are Jesus' words, starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? There's more people than the American dream. A lot more. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more um, value than they are? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Ungodly people seek after these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Wow. Folks, I, 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 more and more, I am blown away by that promise. And I, I just want us to get our heads around that promise. It is a promise from the words of Jesus to God, His heart to your heart. The question is, are we, are we taking them at it? See, first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these other things I'll take care of in life. Wow. And you will be anxious free. Is there a reason why anxiety is rising today in our culture? Uh, forget out there. I'm in the church. 
worry, anxiety, depression. The problem is, is that we have, in other words, Jesus is talking about the things we seek in the world, and he's down to the base level of what needing clothes and food. But see, over life, especially we in the West, we've taken this to a whole nother level of expectation thinking. And again, there's nothing wrong with having nice things or fluence, but we think that by adding to all these things that we are somehow going to be satisfied. Somehow that we're going to be anxious free, that we're going to be de- you know, not depressed. When all along, you know what? We're working against the very promise of God. And we're creating actually anxiety in our lives rather than the freedom that Jesus and the joy of enjoying life and walking with God in the freedom. That's a promise. And, where, and when Jesus says, church, where's your faith? He means, where's your faith? Are you going to take, am I going to take him at this promise to seek first the kingdom of God? Now that raises all kinds of questions, doesn't it? What is the kingdom of God? If somebody was to ask you this morning, what is the kingdom of God, what would you say? What is it that we're to seek after? And what does it mean by seek his righteousness? Do we understand that? In the church, this amazing promise. We should, this should be an anxious, worry-free zone. <laughs> this should be the place that people bust into to get some peace and freedom. And when you and I encounter them in life, we should be the ones bringing rest and peace, the hope of God, the kingdom on earth. What is in heaven, down into earth, into people's lives. I, um, just a little side note, it's amazing how Derek and I didn't really uh, you know, plan the message with songs, but just how God works. And folks, when you hear something, and I just give you a little principle, when you hear something you don't know or you don't understand, make a note, go after it. Most of the time, God will teach you something and say something to you, even prophetically, if you go after it. Rather than just sitting back, oh, I just don't understand, start seeking. God's promise to seek me and you'll find me. So when we sing a song about honey from the rock, hey, that's why I'm not on the worship team. Um, but, yeah, exactly. Do you know where that comes from? Do you know what we're singing about? And just a little note, and there's like five or six places. One's Deuteronomy 32, which is beautiful. Um, it's all the principle of God's care for his people. Are you going to trust me? I'll even bring honey out of a rock to satisfy you. But are you going to toil and toil and try to gain all the things of the world and build our barns and fill them up and think somehow that's going to secure me and satisfy me? God said, I'll bring honey from a rock. Just trust me. I'll open a way in the desert. I'll open a way through a sea if you'll just trust me. It's like I got honey from a rock for you. It's a beautiful language of God's, what He desires to bring right into our lives if we will what? Seek Him first. That's a kingdom principle. That's a supernatural principle. God can bring honey from a rock. Real honey, real satisfaction from a rock. He can bring real healing, right, and peace from anything. He's, he's our great physician. He's our healer. Will we trust Him, right, at His word? To seek first the kingdom of God. 
Um, before I dive in, we're going to look at Jehoshaphat this morning, and wow, uh, we're just going to, again, skim the surface again. I got three kingdom lessons from the kings for you to take, and hopefully you'll dive in and you'll pull the honey from the rock and let God speak to you this morning about the kingdom. How do we seek first the kingdom of God? And, and I just I encourage you, folks, as we always do, is to take the next step. Is Has somebody discipled you? Somebody showed you how to seek the kingdom of God? How did you learn? Has somebody taught you what the kingdom of God is? We're gonna, I'm going to just seed it this morning with a few things to blow our minds. What's available? The keys of the kingdom. It's not just... Peter, it's not just the Catholic Church, it's anyone, anyone who knows Jesus has the keys, the authority to bind and loose in this world, the authority to lay hold of the promises of God, the least in the kingdom, the least Christian is even greater than John the Baptist, the greatest of all, the last prophet, because of the power of the Spirit of God, what God has done in the new covenant. Do you know the blessings of the kingdom? Do you know the difference of the economics of heaven versus the economics of the world? And if you let God inform your your view that way. And what I know is I have to press in. I need to be with others who are pressing in and can show me. And so I just, men and ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you would press into discipleship. Press into a deep dive with others to lay hold of, let's seek the kingdom first and his righteousness. I want that anxious, free. I want that abundant life. That's what Jesus promised. All right, we ready? Does that make sense? And again, don't miss this principle. If you read something, sing something you don't understand, just make a note of it. Go after it. And trust that God's going to give you something very special. In the midst of that, um, be a seeker of truth, right? And understanding. You just can't sit back and, uh, I'm telling you, I just want to kind of, I don't know, bring this to light, but this idea that, oh, I don't understand that, or, oh, that doesn't do anything for me, or, oh, that just be a cynic sitting back, you'll get nothing. God won't reveal. He says you must seek Him to find Him. We got to go and explore by faith and go after Him. Lord, show me. Right? And, and to sit back and just complain about, you know, well, the preacher, he just didn't, that didn't, you know, make me feel good, or that wasn't this, or this song, or the church, this or that. You're setting in your heart a hardness. Seek first the kingdom of God. Get around the others who are on that same journey. Learn. And God will pour out to you more than you could ever, ever imagine. All right? We live in a cynical culture and we need to um, we need to expose that in all of our lives right okay here we go second chronicles chapter 17 got three lessons jehoshaphat um, wow he's one of the positives in in all this journey he's one of our great positive beautiful uh, illustrations uh, of a, a godly king and, and the blessing it brought but we still see this this kind of trauma we still see this heart that just gosh he gets caught up in alliances got gets caught up in politics gets caught up in not trusting God and um, and so we're let's learn from Jehoshaphat first lesson and folks, these three this morning are so, and, and again, the question, how do we seek the kingdom of God first, is 
These three, take them. Wrestle with them. Take all these passages. I'm bridging from the old to the new. Theologically, some critical things that we need to know to understand the Bible and take His promises and start right living those. So again, I'm just going to touch on, on some of these this morning. But here's the first one. The kingdom of God was revealed in the Old Testament through faithful prophets, kings, and the nation Israel. In the New Testament, remember, God gave, He chose Abraham to build this nation. This nation was to be a light unto the world. And, and we read the whole history of what? Failure after failure after failure because God is working even in the midst of that failure something beautiful which is the coming of His Messiah. But God needed a nation right, to bring His promises to His covenant and the law to, that to bring His Messiah out of. And this is the reason He chose um, Israel and through the beginning with Abraham in the Old Testament we see that's the king they represent the kingdom of God the ark of the covenant the presence of God the temple of God the commands of God this is the kingdom and this is how God is moving at this time on the earth right but in the new in this big shift in the New Testament the kingdom of God is revealed through faithful followers of Jesus and the church who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness the kingdom of God as Jesus says, it's among you when the Spirit of God comes alive in the, from the hearts of God's people. It's not just from one nation, not just from one temple. You now, if you know Jesus, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a representation of the kingdom of God. We're to bring, as the Lord's Prayer says, Father, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're to be this, this flow of the Spirit, streams of living water, God says, through us, right, to others um, in, this, uh, in this world. And the church is to be the steward of that. The church is to be the equipper of that. The church is to be the model of the kingdom on earth now. How we love each other, how we serve each other, right? The power of God's presence right here uh, among us. And uh, so Chronicles 17, here's Jehoshaphat. Let me just read, because this is a beautiful picture, how it describes his heart, of a picture of a faithful follower of Jesus, a faithful church. Listen to this, starting in verse 3. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked. Listen to these words. And, and if you have time, see how God uses them in the New Testament, right? He walked in the earlier ways of his father David. It goes all the way back to the man after God's own heart. He said, Jehoshaphat saw that, walked in those ways. He did not seek the Baals. In other words, he did not conform to the ways of the world and the spirituality around him, but sought the God of his Father and walked in his commands and not according to the practices of Israel. He didn't get caught up in religion. He didn't get caught up in the syncretism with the world. He stayed true to the commands of God. And therefore, God established the kingdom in his hand. Don't miss that. Faithfulness. God rewards with the presence of his kingdom, the power of his kingdom, and the blessings of his kingdom. And the same with the church. And all Judah brought tribute to Josephat, and he had great riches and honor. His heart, listen to this, was courageous in the ways of the Lord. Notice he stepped out in faith. He took steps of faith, trusting God radically to show up, and we're going to see it in a minute, to do great and mighty things. He took God at his promises, and he put himself out there radically dependent on God to come through for him. Furthermore, he took the high places and the ashram out of Judah. We're going to come back here to the high places in a minute. 
In the third year of his reign, he sent his officials. And I won't read all this, but he sent the priests, the prophets, the officials. He sent them out among the, all the land to teach. This is the only time we see this kind of... We see little things made with Ezra and others, but we see the king actually unleashing the teachers among the people, among the land, to uphold the word of God, to stir up hunger um, for the word of God. And we see the blessing. And they went throughout all the cities, that's verse 9 of Judah, and taught among the people. And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the land. And there was this set again, uh, Israel, right, with God's power and the blessings of His presence right among them. Um, and they made no more against him. If we drop down, as connecting from last week, 13, and he had large supplies in the seas of Judah, he had soldiers, mighty men of valor. And the rest of this chapter goes on to define all these mighty men of valor. Last week we talked about it. There is no great nation without mighty men of valor. Unless God raises them up, right? Um, to protect, uphold the glory of, of female, to protect children. There is no mighty nation ever that stood when there isn't mighty men of valor who honor God, right, before. So we see all these blessings. And folks, that's just a beautiful picture of what should be happening. Should be define a kingdom environment in a healthy church. Courageous for the things of God. God's people stepping out according to His promises. Right? Mighty men, women rising up in the church who've been discipled. Right? And who understand kingdom living and have a fire. Right? For the things of God over the things of the world. Take God truly at His word and bring that right into um, life. So couple things, just to bridge over to the New Testament. Matthew uh, 6, 10 to 33, we already um, looked at those. Matthew 10, 6, 10, that's the Lord's Prayer. Um, don't miss, Jesus says, when you pray, Abba, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And we don't pray that passively. Maybe you've grown up in kind of a liturgical church and you've prayed that, you could recite it. Is This is not about religion, just spouting off some prayer. Jesus says, pray that. You pray it with the idea of, okay, I, how am I a part of that? How is the church a part of that, right? Are we carrying that out? And of course, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God. It's a command of God. Seek Him first in His righteousness. Again, the whole gospel is that we have no righteousness. And that's what it means, the very beginning of, of the Sermon on the Mount, which is, blessed the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom. To realize, I don't, God, I need your righteousness. I need your grace, your forgiveness. I need Jesus, your sacrifice for me, that I can be righteous before you, God. And start laying hold of all those wonderful kingdom blessings from God. Chapter 16, I just, again, I'm going to touch on these. I hope you'll dive deep into them. Chapter 16, 18 and 19. Um, this is at Caesarea Philippi. Jesus has, this is the first time, right? He's asked him, who do the people say I am? Then who do you say I am? And Peter pipes up, you're the Christ. He says, only the Father could reveal that to you. Remember this biblical principle, folks, this is so important, is I cannot give you my faith. You cannot give me your faith. A parent cannot give their faith to their child. Unless that child grows up in the ways, we train them up in the ways of the Lord, just like we do in the church. We equip the saints. But each of us is responsible before God for owning our own faith. And this is a really important thing. We are responsible to stand before God for our faith with what we've been taught and trained. 
And this is, the, this is the push for all of us. Have you owned it? What has God said to you? Rather than just thinking, passing on information, is pushing each other towards dependence on God. Have you heard from the Lord? And with our children, have you pressing into the Lord? Is He speaking to you? Is He confirming His word in you? Have you tried? Is that working out there in the world? Are you buying those lies of the world? Here's the promises of God. Lean into Him, right? Lean into Him. And, um, and this is where Jesus you know, says that uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Jesus says, I will build my church. This is His church. In America today, we've got to flip this around. This is not a pastor's church. This is all of our church in one sense. But ultimately, this is the Lord's church. He's the head. He's the one it's all about. This and He will build. If we struggle, the problem in America is that we have um, tried by, by power, by might, by strength, by wisdom, by all of our knowledge, we've tried to build the church. Jesus says He will build the church. That means we need to be dependent on Him by the things of the Spirit and the principles of the kingdom to have a healthy church. Not what we can do without the presence. And why is the manifest presence of God void from so many American churches today? Simply, it's very simple. It's because we're not letting Jesus build the church. We're putting all the lights and the screens and all the great things up. And magnifying what man can do rather than a radical dependence. God, unless you move, we're just playing church here. And so I just challenge all of us. So I thought about that this morning is, do we come here with an expectation that God is going to be here? Yes. Do we come here with an expectation and a growing pursuit of the kingdom? God, what are you going to do today? Are you going to manifest your presence in this house today? Like a giddy child. Wow, God, what are you going to do? Who's going to be saved here? Who's going to have their eyes open? What only God can save. No preacher, no one can save anybody. Only God brings faith. It's a gift from God. To open the eyes of a soul to see Jesus for His glory and His wonder. Only God does that. Is He going to do it here this morning? Are we calling upon His presence when we worship Him? Is He here? Is He going to do it? Is there a hunger among God's people that He would move and He would save? Lord, are you going to deliver someone who's oppressed? Who's struggling this morning? You're going to deliver them, set them free in the midst of this place? Remember Jesus' first sermon in Capernaum in the synagogue in church, but he's preaching, he's like this, boom, somebody pops up. Shoo, let something fly. Got delivered right there. Set free from oppression. Saved into the kingdom. Do we have that kind of expectation? Or do we come with, has the church created an idea we just come to be entertained and or is there really a seeking after God and His power in this place, right? Oh, and He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 16. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Anybody taken that promise? Anybody taught you what that's all about? Has anybody taught you the authority you have in the name of Jesus to bring the kingdom of heaven into a situation? Again, we should, when we move into a room, all possibilities should change. The environment should change. My home should change. Everything should change. And again, remember, this is why the company we keep is so critical, right? Is, man, which is influencing who? So we talk to our children, right? It's what you, company you keep is critical. Who's influencing who? Are you representing the kingdom faithfully here? Right? 
or letting the world right press in. And then chapter 18, some say, oh, that was just for Peter. And, the, and you know, um, no, it's not. Verse chapter 18, two chapters later, makes it real clear. It's for anyone who knows Jesus. You have that authority to bind and loose in the midst of this place to minister to each other, to be vessels of the kingdom of God, to be here, to have the love of God come over you, stepping into each other's lives, right? And for us to be vulnerable and open to receive ministry from the church, from one another. That's what healthy church looks like. Chapter 25 in Matthew, um, this beautiful, when Jesus gave all of his kingdom parables, he said the kingdom of God is like ten virgins. Ten came with, with lamps, ten, came, were, ten were foolish, they came with lamps without any extra oil. He says, be watchful, church. Be the person that has the extra oil. Be the person who's dependent, who's leading. When the end comes, when pressure comes in my life, any of our lives, if we haven't learned how to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, how to live a kingdom life, when the pressure comes, guess what? We're going to be just like the foolish ones. We can't. We're going to miss it. It's a powerful thing, folks. Somebody taught you how to live life in the whole new way of the Holy Spirit. Dependent on Him. Don't think it's just going to happen through your quiet time, your little cute devotional in the morning, your cute little podcast. Not going to happen. It's face to face. It's deep discipleship. It is a pushing one another on to the things of God. We need each other in a face to face, locking arms way of encouragement. It's how God set it up. Not in isolation. And Hebrews 12.28. I mean, I could give many, but folks, this crescendo of what we have in Christ, and he says, you are inheriting a kingdom that cannot be shaken for all eternity. And so, folks, is that, is that your filter when you look at ah, everything going on in the world? I just, that's my verse. I just say, back, whoa, thank God, Lord, I got a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I don't want the American kingdom. I don't want that kingdom over there. I want, I want your kingdom, Lord. Thank you. It can't be shaken. Yes. Is that your hope? Yes. Is that the bedrock of the filter you look at, right, to know that you're seeking the kingdom of God and all the blessings he has ultimately for you? Does that make sense? Lesson 22. Um, I hope you'll take some time and let, let this sink in. God is at work. His kingdom is at work. And man, if the church would just wake up and realize what you have. If I said, the, 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 I just can't even imagine what Jesus is thinking. I'm just going to step back. I'm going to go there. When he saw what happened with the church in America during COVID, I have to believe he just wept. Said the same thing he did over Israel. I wept over Jerusalem. If you had only known who was walking among you that I wanted to bring, gather you together. Don't miss that. And pour out blessings upon you. But you did not gather under my wings. Unbelievable. If you just said the church of America would have a restoration to realize who you are. You're not some individual follower of Jesus. You're part of the body of Christ, which represents the kingdom of God on earth. And it's in the process of being the family of God that the kingdom is stirred up, folks. Does that make sense? All right. 23. Beware, folks, of the alliances with the kingdom of this world. Oh, especially any spiritual alliances, for they will distract you from the will of God and bring confusion. In the hearing of the voice of God. Man. Um, I don't have time. 
Chapter 18, I pray that you'll go really dive in, take these and dive in to Jehoshaphat. Chapter 17, 18, 19, and 20 that we're going to briefly look at this morning. In the book of Kings, this is the time of Elijah. And most of the time we hear about Elijah and, and Ahab going on. But this whole other storyline is going on that the Chronicles lets us in on, which is about Jehoshaphat and his uh, bad alliance with this terrible king Ahab from the northern kingdom. And um, I'm just going to summarize chapter 18. What happens is, Jehoshaphat, for whatever reason, he does the same mistake that Solomon did, that God clearly commands not to do, which is go and marry someone outside of Israel, to be unequally yoked in marriage. The New Testament says the same thing. And he goes out and he makes a marriage alliance, and he makes an alliance with the northern kingdom, um, with Ahab. And he comes and they're sitting on the robes and all this and, and then Ahab brings the prophets. I mean, this is actually comical, but it is deep. And there's so many things in this, um, gosh, that, that uh, are insightful to how God works. But, um, and Ahab, who's the evil king of Israel, the northern kingdom, the kingdom split at this time, right? And uh, Ahab, this is Jezebel's husband. So this is, right? Um, and he brings 400 of the prophets and they're all dancing around, they're prophesying. One guy gets horns, you guys are going to be victorious. Because you know, they're asking, are we going to, to go up and, and, uh, and take Syria? And uh, all 400, yes, go, yes, go. And Jehoshaphat's sitting there going, and now remember what we just read about Jehoshaphat, a man after God's own heart. Now he gets a little confused. At least he has something left there. He's aligning with someone that God would never have him aligned with. Not only in marriage, but also in politics. And also just in religion and spiritual alliance. And, and at least he, Joseph says, wait a minute, do, hey, uh, King um, Ahab, don't you have somebody else? These 400 guys are all saying the same thing. Surely, you know, you got somebody else. <laughs> and this is just awesome. And uh, Ahab goes, yeah, yeah, there's one guy, Micaiah, but I hate the guy because anytime he prophesies, he prophesies against me, so forget him, right? <laughs> and Joseph's like, well, I'll, well, I want to hear from that guy. And so they bring Micaiah in, and, uh, and, he, <laughs> and, he, and listen to the confusion that's taking place. When we're in alliance with something that is not right, of this world, of especially spiritual in nature, confusion takes over. And this is just a biblical, universal principle in our lives. If you want to hear the voice of God clearly, we have to evaluate the alliances in our life, okay? Yes. And so they bring Micaiah, and he comes, and he's like sarcastic. We're going to see why in a minute, why he's sarcastic. He goes, oh yeah, go, you guys will be fine. And Ahab goes, oh, shut up, tell me the truth. I know you're not telling the truth. And he says, okay, you want the truth, here it is. Boom, you guys are going to, you're going to die. The whole thing's going to, you know, God has brought judgment on you, evil king. And then Ahab looks at Joseph and says, see, I told you, he never says anything good about me, right? And you would think, right, there's just hard hearts, right? And then it gives us incredible insight, folks, into the divine counsel. I don't have time to get into this. What is going on around the throne of God? And God has already determined to take out, by judgment, Ahab's wickedness had reached heaven. He's getting ready to be judged. And he dies in the end of this chapter in warfare. And you have this divine counsel and this spirit. And, and God's sitting around and we see we have all the host of heaven. Even evil, even the kingdom of darkness. Hey, we need to, uh, t- you know, we're going to take, it's time to take Ahab out. Who's going to do it? An evil spirit comes, I'll take care of that. So, right, you go do that. I'll be a lying spirit in the mouths of the prophets. But see, there was one prophet who was not susceptible to the deception 
And he stood in the face of 400 prophets. By the way, those 400 false demonic prophets who thought they were saying the truth were the same 400 that were slaughtered on Mount Carmel with Elijah. Right? And um, folks, there are just so many lessons here for us uh, in this process. So let me just point out a couple. Romans 12, it says, Paul's given the whole gospel, it says, in light of all that God's done through Jesus for us, Man, I beseech you, church people, present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. This is your spiritual form of worship. And when you do this, right, it says the testing of this, you will be able to test and prove the real will of God, the clarity of God's voice. And that is a huge principle. In other words, a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed, he says, to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you can hear the voice of God clearly. So you can be in the word of God. Jehoshaphat confused things. He was conforming, made wrong political alliances. Right? Started listening to these wrong prophets. He had a little bit of, of something to say. Something's not right here. Still left in him. right? And, uh, and he was almost taken out. If you read the rest of the story, you just see Ahab kind of abused him, enticed him and everything else. He almost got himself killed in the midst of this unless, until he cried out to God right, to save him. Chapter 19 just gives the, the, the God's take on what happened there. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. This is after Ahab was killed in battle when they went up against uh, Syria that um, only Micah's prophecy was true. The 400 were wrong. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, the prophet, went out to meet Jehoshaphat and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked? And love those who hate the Lord, speaking of Ahab in the northern kingdom. Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Folks, that's a prophecy you never want spoken over you. That's the result of wrong, ungodly alliances. Not political, yes, but also just not bringing God into his marriage, his political alliance, and ultimately, right, bringing the prophets in, giving yourself... Uh, over to an ungodly, I mean, Ahab was as dark as they get, to bring spiritual insight. Just a total lack of spiritual discernment and the consequences, right, are dire. But, but Jehoshaphat had enough in his heart that he kind of woke up, right, to all that and God redeemed him and saved him. Uh, I just want to point out Second Thessalonians chapter 2, folks, really a critical passage is um, the New Testament says very clearly, and gosh, I wish we had time to dive in here, but you all, dive in, ask the Lord. He says, the end will come when the man of lawlessness, the one who's raised up by Satan, the political leader in the end of time, he's defined as the man of lawlessness. I don't need to tell you where our country and the world's going when it comes to lawlessness. Um, and the cause of that, by the way, the hand of the restrainer being taken off, says when the end comes, the man of lawlessness will rise up. Get this. This is the political leader in the end that everybody will, even it says the elect will be deceived to follow this guy. He will rise up and he will have satanic power to do signs and wonders and deceive the entire world. Be watchful. Be watchful and calling the church into an alliance with him. Be watchful. Folks, this book fits together so so incredibly supernaturally, it's the Word of God. It's time for the God's people to wake up. Yes. Get in tune with the kingdom of God.
and the principles, right, of God's kingdom. All right, last one. Lesson 24. The high places in the Old Testament, if you've been with us, you know all through here, it keeps coming back to the high places and you see godly kings go and they tear down the high places. The high places were all set up in the land to places of worship. This is the places where they shrines, they'd come and this is where they would meet with God and, and all of that. And, and they were places of syncretism. They were places of, of just blending together all kinds of faith and religion. Um, The high places in the Old Testament, this is very important, represent the deep places of spiritual warfare in people's hearts. The high places in the Old Testament represent the deep places inside our soul where spiritual warfare takes place. Jesus has made a way through the gospel of the kingdom to seal our hearts with the Holy Spirit. Thank God. So we can live in victory over the flesh. That's our own Right? Flesh, tendencies, over the world, all of what the world's trying to tempt us with, and ultimately over the enemy of all enemies, Satan himself. The Lord has defeated to give you authority, to give me authority over those things. To defeat the high places once and for all. Now, 19, what happens is because of Joseph, Joseph had a little bit of revival, God blesses him again. Many of you have heard many, many sermons out of, out of 2 Chronicles 20 where, where Joseph has, remember God said, I'm bringing wrath against you. I'm bringing a test. Here it comes. And all this horde of enemies comes around him. And it looks like they're done. But Joseph gets really humble. It's amazing what humility and crying out to God will do. God comes to that. It's those who are contrite in heart and humble, right, that he comes, that he sees. Over and over again, we see that in Scripture, right? The importance of that. And we have this great supernatural victory that's just a glorious a testimony of God. And this is the passage we get is that um, where we hear that the battle is the Lord's. Lord, this is your battle. That's the spiritual lesson to learn here inside our soul. If it's depression, if it's anxiety, if it's sickness, whatever it is, God, this is your battle. I'm calling upon you in the name of Jesus. To come fight for me. Do you know that as a child of God, you have every right because of what God has done for you to call upon God to come and fight your battle for you. But if I'm going to fight my battle, guess what God's going to do? Go ahead. Go fight your battle. Remember what we just read Jehoshaphat's last week? Uh, Father Asa, what did he do? His heart kind of hardened as he aged. In the end, he got this foot disease that ended up taking his life. In the end, it says he just, he just looked to the physicians to fight his battle and he died. God said, all right. You want to fight it on your own? I'll let you fight it on your own. But God is there. He wants to fight for His children. This is so many wonderful lessons there for us. But I want to take us to this very, very important passage in <clears throat> chapter uh, 20 of Second Chronicles, uh, verse 33. Listen to this. The high places, however. Now, remember, didn't we just read that one of the things back in chapter 17 is that Jehoshaphat tore down the high places, right? Here, what do we see? Verse 33, the high places, however, were not taken away. The people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. Mm, right to the heart. They were still in this place of wrong alliances, hearing from the world, same as Jehoshaphat, right? Jeremiah seventeen four says the heart is... It's decept- deceived, right? It's sick. Who can understand the heart? Um, 
the rest of this story, sadly, is Joseph, just read the end of, of chapter 20, Joseph again goes out and makes an unholy alliance, right, to build ships, to get to Tarshish, because that's where all the good stuff was. We're going to go to Shark, we're going to build these ships, going to make an alliance with this person, and we're going to go out and get these ships, we're going to bring all these goodies back into uh, Jerusalem. And the, God raises up the prophet, comes and says, no, because of that, we're just going to destroy all these ships. God takes the ships out. Again, an unholy alliance. And folks, I think for us, does this apply to any decision? Business decision? Relational decision? Financial? Yes. Am I in tune with the kingdom? God, are you looting? Not just because I think in my own mind. God will let us do. He'll go out and, all right, you want to do it on your own. But to be followers of Him, let's bring Him in. Let's bring His wisdom in, right? In our alliances with Him. Super powerful to understand. So, Hebrews Two, the writer says, man, if they fell in the desert, if the Old Testament, after everything they saw, if they fell, is that look how much more we have. Look what Jesus has done for us. He's come to seal the gospel changes our heart. They didn't have this yet. They just had faith that God was going to bring a Redeemer. We have the Redeemer, or we're on this side of the Redeemer. And the book of Hebrews, if we forsake so great a salvation... Why do we think that we'll be, be any better off than the guys in the Old Testament? So great a salvation. Right? Matthew 11, folks, is what I already mentioned. Is Jesus talking about John the Baptist. He was the last of the prophets. No one greater than him. He got to prepare the way. Remember the promise of Amos 3.7? God does nothing in this world. He doesn't first communicate to his prophet to let the people know what he's getting ready to do. Be in tune prophetically with what God is saying. He will speak before he acts. But he says, even the least in the kingdom of God, that's all of us, even the least is greater than John the Baptist. What? It's because the spirit of the living God is inside you. John the Baptist didn't have that, nor did Jehoshaphat or any of the others. They just had to trust God with their heart and, and with, have faith in the God and His commands. You have God right here. That's the glory of this good news. He's right here. Trust Him, right? And, and hold on to Him. In Romans 7, 6, again, Paul, with all of his language, is trying the best he can to say what an amazing thing God has done. There's a righteousness now that has come apart from the law. Apart from everything you read in the Old Testament, God is, in once and for all, Jesus' death, tore the veil, opened up the presence of God, makes you righteous by faith. Not by following the law. That's just overwhelmed Paul. And so in chapter 7, verse 6, he says, now you get to live this life by the Spirit, not the old way of the law. This is a whole new way of living under the kingdom by the power of the Spirit of God, right? And so, um, as we close, folks, I just ask you, set your hearts on what God has done for you. How great a salvation Jesus has provided for us, right? Um, I'm going to just pray for us. And uh, before we come to the table in this time, remember the church is, we're, we're to rejoice in the presence of God. Let's let Him do what He's going to do. Let's let Him say what He's going to say to us. Let Him meet the needs here this morning that need to be met, right? And be available for that. Don't boast out of here. Hang around. Let God use you. 
to encourage someone, pray for someone, take someone to lunch, get to know someone, encourage someone, pray for someone, whatever it may be. Right? And if you need God to move, just allow yourself to be ministered to. Right? So Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray you'll wake us up. And Father, it just hits me now, I think in light of circling back to Matthew 6, Lord, the solution for anxiety, the solution for depression, the solution for worry, the solution for loneliness, the solution, Lord, for everything comes through you, Jesus. And seeking your kingdom, everything we need, you have, God. The Spirit, move in this place. Come with your manifest, your kingdom principles, God. Teach us. And Lord, I just pray if there's anyone in here, Lord, and they're struggling, they've never really been taught. No one's ever, Lord, disciple them, show them how to live a kingdom life. Lord, I pray they'll get serious about seeking you. Lord, we love you. Oh, what a great salvation. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, mm, come Holy Spirit, open their eyes to your incredible love and mercy and grace. Yeah, come Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.